Everybody, welcome to the King and I podcast presented by Monster Energy. So, uh, Swap Moto Live has been around for two and a half years now, and the guy that's been our corner from the start has been Jeremy McGrath. Uh, we've got the world's coolest, fastest, most accomplished landlord ever. <laughs> and uh, so I was thinking, man, like, hey, Jared, let's do something. I mean, yeah. every show you've come on has killed it because, dude, there's there's fans that want to hear from you. And even in my weekly vlog, you know, I get, dude, Jeremy hasn't been in your vlog in a while. What the fuck? You yeah, know? yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, like, let's do something together where we could, uh, you know, we've been friends for a long time and we yeah. could talk about old stuff, new stuff, future stuff. I'm excited. You know, it's, uh, it's always fun when we get together and do these things. Right. Cause as I've said to you already, like these days, there's no political line for me. It's like, look, I'm going to call it as I see it. Uh, you know, I don't have to walk the line for anyone anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, I'm just being me. And some people don't like sometimes to hear the truth, but look, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the sport. I'm a huge fan of what we do in our whole industry. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm watching and, uh, yeah, it's fun. You know, I, I, I still love watching and still have an opinion mm -hmm. <laughs> obviously. And, uh, yeah, we're gonna have a good time. Yeah. I was thinking about this morning, uh, when I was driving here, it was like, when did I meet Jeremy? And my first memory of you is 125 novice, JT gear, white Yamaha, fluorescent orange pants, showtime on the butt, right? 1987. So 87. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So 87, I was working <coughs> for cycle news mm -hmm. as like the local contributor for CMC. Yeah. And it's like the only reason I was doing it right was because, uh, Stu Peters would let me race for free if I wrote the cycle news stories. Right. Right, right. right. So it became fun, you know, like, uh, well, and you know, I mean, CMC used to have all the, like the, a lot of big guys, yeah. like it wasn't me at the time. It was guys that we all looked up to. Yeah. And so CMC was huge. It was cool. Golden it was crazy State. too, because yeah, like things like the golden state nationals brought out like the gnarly dudes, David Bailey, Rick Johnson to the uh, preseason warmup. Right. Yeah. Which now is kind of funny that they warmed up at a preseason motocross race for Supercross. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, the the, the script these days is so different, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, these riders wouldn't dare go ride a motocross race before, like two weeks or a week before a Supercross race, yeah. especially Anaheim 1. Yeah. Uh, although they'll do a million laps during the week uh, that are equally as dangerous, yeah. probably, right? So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a different way of Supercross life these days. Yeah. Um, were you at the Sunrise Cycle Park one that was muddy when RJ punched Lachine in the face? I believe I was there and I was intermediate maybe. Well, let's see. If w RJ was in 86, he was Honda, 87, 88, 80, so okay. So, Lachine was on a Cowie. Okay, so that had to be like 89. Yeah. Right? 89. So yeah, I was there because I was, a, I was like an A rider. Uh huh. Um, but I only ro rode 125 at the time. Yeah. So, but I, I didn't see it. I had heard about it. Uh -huh. Yeah. I mean, he was in his van, like Dogger was in the van yeah, hiding and then RJ in, was yeah. coming after him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe that's why he had the bad boy as a, as his image, right? <laughs> yeah. Pretty funny. I don't know. That's the good old days. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so w what I remember of you was the JT pants and then you got sponsored by High Point. I did. Remember that? High yep, Point yep, boots yep. at the metal front. And, uh, Wayne Cornelius at High Point. Uh-huh. 
And the High Point lady was Lisa Tetherton. Yeah. Ray's wife. Yeah. Uh, who Ray was the team manager of Suzuki at the time. Uh, Buzzard, right? So, mm -hmm. um, and who else was there? Susie, uh, Johnny O's girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linsfoot, I think, Linsfoot, yeah. High Point. Yeah, that it's was funny so, that was so that crazy because it was Malcolm Smith and High Point in Riverside at the same time. Yeah. Right, so Malcolm Smith owned High Point. And yeah, again, that was like, yeah, that was like 88, beginning uh -huh. of 89. Like 88, I rode Yamaha, like I started in 86. 87, I was novice. When we met, I rode, I was wearing orange JT gear. Mm -hmm. Then I was wearing like Fox gear, you know, for Loretta, like my parents just, we just, I made YZ Bucks racing CMC races. Yeah. And we, I was able to just kind of buy whatever gear. I didn't have any sponsors. <clears throat> I always wore a bell helmet. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so in end of 88, I think it was like when I was still riding Yamahas, I got a high point sponsorship. Yeah. Pretty crazy. And you wore a flak jack. I remember that. I did. I did. Flak jack was the uh, same design as what HRP was, right? Yeah. Well, no, it was HRP. It was flak HRP jack. flak jack. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that Bob was what Hanna's high point. That company. Yeah, yeah. Well, HRP was Malcolm Smith, sort of. Yeah, they were a distributor. Yeah, distributor. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, it was pretty funny actually. I mean, High Point at that time, Jeff Stanton wore that gear too. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't High a point. lot of riders that wearing that gear because there was. <laughs> Stuff that was much more stylish, but <laughs> it was I was getting play. free gear, so I was like, striped, "Yes, yeah. the regular stripe down the and side." And I was, I was a scrub dude, so getting free gear was, I was stoked. Yeah. All right. So for as long as I remember, you were number one twenty-five, right? And you carried that into your rookie pro year and everything. Yeah. Like, how did you choose one twenty-five? Was it because I'm riding a one twenty-five? No. You know what? I started out on an eighty as number one twenty-six, uh -huh. and then I went to a CMC race. It was taken. And someone else was 126, so I switched to 125. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure who it was. I can't remember at the time, but, um, and then 125 just stuck. And I don't even know where it came from, to be honest. I'm really? not even sure. That's I'm, funny. I'm not even sure. Surprised you weren't like, with CMC and their lettering, you know, maybe you weren't like 50J. <laughs> <or something. laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Well, 50J was button. Oh yeah, you're right. 50J was button. <laughs> there we go. On 80 expert. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't even know. Like, I think in BMX, I wasn't even 125 in BMX. I was like, my first BMX like uh, number was like 942, which is like weird, you know. Couldn't get any ago. higher. Almost. And then I was, and then as I got better, it was low, low numbers. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of 125 just stuck. Yeah. You know what, um, like I said, I remember you in the flak jack, mm. and then uh, when you were on Mitch's team, you obviously wore the, the Axo chest protector. Yeah. So you wore a chest protector early in your career, and then I remember you wearing a Fox Roost 2 or whatever it was called here and there, but like- Intermediate, junior. How come, how come when guys turn pro, they take their chest protectors off? I don't know, but I mean, all of us kids were looking in the magazines, right, and then you, you, you know, you get to a certain level and like then the pros had just their jerseys showing. Yeah. And it just seemed like it was so much cooler. And there, were, there was pros that wore chest protectors, yeah. but like Ricky did, RJ did. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the Fox chest protector looked super sick, right? I yeah. Mean, back in the day, I mean, when Ricky was wearing like the red and blue mm -hmm. or the all white. And yeah. then, you know, eventually when it was like Damon wearing all that cool stuff. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I think... 
it, it was almost like a status thing. It, it seems stupid to say, but yeah, like when you're 125 rider, you're all geared up, and then when you get to maybe 250 class, you're like, all right, well maybe I'm finally good enough to drop the chest pro, <laughs> or whatever. So, uh, but then know. there was even the kidney belt thing. Like you wore kidney belts for a long time, right? Up, I did, dude. You, I remember you in a Cinecolo kidney belt and then the Fox one. Yep, I was wearing a gold belt back in '87 when I yeah. first started. But like that we pick up like belt? a chaparral on the way through the town, you know, going to Glen Helen. <laughs> yeah. So what happened to the kitty belt? Like I don't I know. I remember, wasn't RC the first guy that didn't wear one? Maybe, because his jersey was kind of always hanging out, right, when he was yeah. number 70 yeah. back in the day? I don't like know, but man, I can tell you this. When I was, like, when I got better and started riding motocross and the really rough tracks, kidney belt was, I mean, yeah. that was key. Yeah. So I don't even know why it got dropped. And it helps your back and the whole thing. And, mm -hmm. uh you know, did it have to be like 10 inches thick? I, I, I really don't think it did, <laughs> but it could be, it could have been cool. Like, like a, you know, six inches where it really like helped your back. Cause I think that was it. I mean, I've said this before, you know, racing motocross nationals, supercross, not so much, but motocross nationals at the end of the day, if you like your, your stomach, like you can't even, like, I couldn't even, I was so gassed up and beat up in the stomach from riding motocross mm -hmm. after two 40 minute motos pretty much. Um, I used to go home in the, in the back of the rental cars, you know, like just curled up in a ball. Yeah. And uh, so kidney belt really helped that. And then eventually kidney belt was like dropped the kidney belt cause it's not stylish anymore. Yeah. So, but it actually had a function. So, yeah. but I mean, you don't wear one now. No, I don't, but I probably because they're hard to get. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Do they even make them anymore? Yeah, I think only like uh, EVS makes one. And maybe? if you made it, if you did wear it now, you'd wear it under probably. Yeah. Just sure. like all the guys are wearing thin chest pros under. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I did, I'm doing everything I can do to stay, you know, looking lean, which <laughs> yeah. don't happen well, anymore. I used to but wear back the then. Belt. I used to wear the kidney belt to hold my roll in, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like and Spanx. This they is an old <laughs> version of Spanx. Dude. They would get clapped version. out. They would get clapped out and they'd fold over. Yeah. And then you'd be like, dang, fold them back up, but then they'd the fold over. The elastic would just yeah. be beat up. All clapped out, looked like a lasagna. Remember the Axo stuff. kidney belt? Yeah. The plastic I mean, it had the, the plastic on the back. It was pretty cool. That was sick. That gear was sweet back then. Yeah. Axo was. You know, we need to do one day. We need to take the show to your place and go through all the mannequins and everything. Like, oh, I, I find it amazing that you've saved a set of gear from like every year, if not more, right? Yeah, I mean, I have uh, gear from every year, but I have multiples. Yeah. So like, I have really cool old stuff and it would be an awesome segment if we went there. And I have kidney belts. <laughs> kidney belts. <coughs> I have kidney belts, I have the crazy gloves that had all the hard plastic on the top of them that we wore. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I was like, what was it? What was like Fox gloves back then called paw protectors. Mm -hmm. And they had the plastic all over the top and then yeah. After that, I wore the Axo gloves that were like crazy thick and they had like, it was like sponge on the top, which yeah. is perfect for getting roosted. But it al you, it's almost like they would work better now because 450s roost so hard, roost. you know? Do you remember the JT gloves that had a piece of molded plastic, like one piece on the back that was white, but it came with this optional <laughs> squeegee <laughs> you put on the index finger. You're supposed to be riding. And if your goggles are just like, <laughs> Oh, Who has no, the precision to do that? See, because yeah. I wore JT earlier, really yeah. early, and yeah. then in start like that was just like the first six months or like uh, like Loretta's that year. Like mm -hmm. I was riding 80s and then 125 Junior, but then after that I switched to Fox fairly quickly, and then it was after that it was High Point. So yeah, or yeah, then then Axel later. But you know what's pretty apparent <laughs> to me right now is 
we're never going to be at a loss of things to talk about. Oh, no. Well, that, that's the beautiful part about the late 80s and the 90s. You know, there was so much development. Yeah. And if you look at the history of moto from early 80s and even late 70s, early 80s, there was so much room to grow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, different companies had so much, you know, historical development, like Fox is one of them, obviously. Yeah. AXO was like, it was crazy, right? I mean, what AXO was doing and, and the kind of the gear race between AXO and Fox. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was so much stuff that was really untouched. Yeah, a lot of it was goofy, right? But who knew, right? You just have to bring it out and see and then the top pros would wear it and they'd sell the crap Everything out of it. Cool. So yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Wait, we're gonna head into our next segment now. So the next segment is called What's up with MC? It's presented by Armist Sport, a company that you know a little bit about, right? So at the core of Armist brand is a strong belief that only the highest quality ingredients will add benefit to an athlete's program. Based on years of industry knowledge and research, hours in the gym and competing in the field, the Arma team has put in the work to bring you the products you can trust. Knowledge is power, so visit armasport.com to learn more. It's like you, you're part owner of that, right? Did you yeah. ever think that you're gonna be part owner of a uh, supplement company? You know what's weird is when I was coming up, I wanted to be part of a lot of companies, right? But I never was because I was always so focused on being a racer. Yeah. And I can look back at that now and go, you know, I missed the window on a lot of that stuff, but I'm not sure I would have been half the racer if I was concentrating on something else. On business, yeah. So, yeah, Arma's, Arma's part of my company. Uh, did I ever think I'd be an, a company owner? I, I really did. Did I know it would be a supplement company mm -hmm. and like a good for you company, something we can, you know, really trust that we can give the athletes and they can trust us? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't sure about all that, but you know, it feels good. We, we make good product. We make high quality products. Mm -hmm. So and you have, uh, it, it's you, Chad, Nick, and Adam, right? Yeah, me, me Chad, Nick, Adam, and uh, yeah, Scott. Yeah, so largely athlete owned. Yeah. Y you know, it's funny when you're racing, dude, I mean, obviously, there was Cytomax, right? But before that, what else was there, really? Gatorade? I mean, Gatorade, I don't even know how long Gatorade's been around, but Gatorade has so much sugar. Like, I mean, it's weird. I think, what was that? Uh, what was that, Cytomax that I was in yeah. the, the funny old video that I have? Like, yeah. race fuel for your body kind of yeah. thing? Cytomax Revenge. Yeah, well, that was later, right? Yeah. Revenge. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I, the, they were kind of pioneering the whole sport thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, I'm sure that triathletes and those kind of guys had sort of supplements going on, but yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. You know what I remember? I remember Wardy taking race caps. Remember that logo? Just yep. caps. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> There's a pill. Was that a right? Jeff Spencer deal? Yeah, yeah. And maybe. he was kind of like the, the mad scientist behind some of those brands back in the day. Yeah. The guy that Stanton, Johnny, uh, David, like mm -hmm. all those guys went to uh, Jeff Spencer Jeff back Spencer. in the day in Pasadena. Total taping. I had that book. Show you how oh. to tape your ankle when you sprained oh, your ankle. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a Jeff Spencer book. That's funny. But, uh, okay, That's so the- Probably was good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I <coughs> taped all my extremities. <laughs> but uh, all right, so the What's Up With MC segment, like uh, currently now, I mean, I know you're just fresh off podium finish at King of the Hammers, which is like the gnarliest desert race. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, we just got back. We were in Johnson Valley for eight days, uh, with Kawasaki 
And for those of you who don't know what King of the Hammers is, it's a it's the craziest, most treacherous off-road race in all of North America, I'd say. Mm -hmm. uh, it happens once a year, and it's it's always in January, uh, or I guess this is for, it's, it's like the end of January, first of February. Uh, but yeah, it was a 167-mile lap, and partly desert, uh, a lot of rock climbing, and uh, you have to use a winch. You have to bring co-driver. You know, you can try to get up stuff, but if you can't, you need to winch up and all that. So mm -hmm. um, there was 101, 15 or 120 UTVs in this event. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were in the NA class, which is what Kawasaki Terex KRX mm -hmm. is. Naturally aspirated, there's no turbo. Yeah. Um, and out of this 115, I, 120 or something, I qualified 52nd and then got 20th overall and second in the class. So uh, all in all, it was a good week. You've been here a lot. We've been here. There was, there was like <laughs> a lot out. of prep going on. We did, we did a couple months worth of prep. I felt like I had an actual another job. Yeah, but, but the the, the R and D that you have to do, yeah, to race and learn what to do. You know, like, what was that? The thing when we had to before we went to Moab was that it was called Area Fifty One. Area Fifty One, the BFE beatdown. Yeah. So that I remember, you took me in the in the in the Terex. Yeah. I'm like, dude, we can't go up that, and you're all watch. I mean, the the yeah. KRX One Thousand goes up the gnarliest stuff and down <coughs> the gnarliest stuff, and, and you know, I, like I'm pretty ignorant to everything except two wheels, and right. I remember I was just blown away by the things you drove us over. Well, the craziest thing is anyone that does any of that stuff for fun or whatever on this, you know, with the side-by-sides, <clears throat> even now, everything I drive, like if I go out to Johnson Valley and drive these rocks and stuff, every time I go through it, I'm amazed. I'm like, wow, mm -hmm. these things can go through this? And you go like, no way we're making it. Yeah. And then we do it. Yeah. So your, you know, your limits get more and more as you do it. And Johnson Valley is just the craziest stuff I've ever driven through. Mm -hmm. uh, but me and my wife and my kids, we go to the desert and we, we drive KRXs on the weekends. We go mm -hmm. camping and we do it as a family. So racing King of the Hammers is sort of one of those things that like Kawasaki side by side is perfect for the rocks. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's like, all right, well, let's go see if we can do it. Kawasaki does not have a race team. Yeah, It's something I'm doing on my own with my friends and mm -hmm. we're just prepping on our own and all that. So um, yeah, when I'm not riding my bike, I'm messing around with that. Yeah. Yeah. How does motocross, supercross experience even transfer over to that? I mean, I know there's like some traction stuff, but the rock stuff, come it on. doesn't, it, d it really doesn't transfer over the stuff that you see on the, in the side-by-side -side is just stuff that you would never ride your motorcycle in. Yeah. Right. So that's the funniest part. You know, when you're driving four wheels, just like when I was racing trucks, uh, short course trucks, you know, for a long time, you see stuff, you see bumps, see holes, you see rocks. You're like in the truck. You're like ah, oh, I didn't yeah, even feel that, right? right? Yeah. And I and I like to say that that's like bike eyes, right? Because I've grown up on two wheels. Mm -hmm, I have mm -hmm. bike eyes. I see something that's gonna hurt me on my dirt bike. I slow down. Yeah. Well, you know, I do the same in the car. Yeah. It's taken me a long time to get adjusted to that, <clears throat> and uh, I think I'm fairly used to it now. Uh -huh. But uh, you know, someone like you that doesn't have a lot of experience. So when oh, we go dude. out and I take you on some of this stuff, you're just like, what the hell are even, we doing? Even the, the poker run we did last year. Oh, in Havasu, yeah. Uh, I was with Wilson, and he was driving, and I was riding co-pilot. <laughs> and we went into some dips, like, you know, washes and stuff, where I was like, Whoa! 
it's it's over and then we're done smooth. and then it was like poof like soak it up yeah and it's funny he's driven it driven one enough to know what thing will do but i was just pooping my pants the whole time you know? yeah and that's common so i mean you're not alone on that until you drive those a lot you just yeah. don't really know and i'm still learning too but you know i'm learning yeah. at a fast pace that's cool all right so king of the hammers was seven hours for you in the car yeah it was seven hours we started at 8 a.m right off the line mm -hmm. uh, i was 50 second car so i started about two cars every 30 seconds so i yeah. was about 8 13 and i didn't get done until like 3 20. okay so we cut were off like five <laughs> so it was seven hours seven hours in the car and you passed 30 something guys then to get second yeah right? yeah past 30 guys yeah didn't get out of the car yeah so do you just make sure you take a dump way before so you don't have to in the car because i mean well I yeah i mean mainly you just try to go to the restroom in the morning right and then yeah the thing is when you're riding in the desert if you drink well obviously i tried to drink some arma and stay hydrated mm -hmm. but you know two hours into the race i'm like oh shoot i gotta go pee yeah and typically they make there's a thing called a catheter a condom catheter right yeah, yeah right yeah. and i i didn't have one so I did just, you just like, forget or did you no nah, i just didn't have one and i'm like yeah and then two hours in the race i got to take a pee so yeah. guess what i had to like pee in my suit in yeah. my seat yeah that was not i mean that was a first for me but i was only wet for a little while and then yeah. it dried up it's, fine. it's funny because i remember back when i worked at dirt rider uh chris johnham was one of my fellow editors and he did the nevada rally and he said, dude, you just have to pee while you're riding. He's like, it was so hard to be going through desert whoops and yeah. just piss your pants. No, yeah, you got to wait for a smooth spot. <laughs> yeah. But just like anyone that knows, any guy anywhere, anyone that's, once you start peeing, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're not, yeah. You're not I mean, I've, I've peed going 80 miles an hour down the freeway in a Gatorade bottle, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's smooth. So, you're going smooth. Yeah, yeah. So, so who had to wash the car? Has it been washed yet, the driver's seat? No, but I got my suit. I finally picked up my suit. And I told, it's funny, I told my girls that I did that, and they're like, that is gross, Dad. <laughs> I'm like, well, what was I going to do? Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't hold it. You're just miserable. So yeah. anyway, okay. was, I so was committed. Second at King of the Hammers, is that like the best finish you've had as a SUV or a UTV? Yeah, racer? yeah, yeah. I've only competed three times. First year I was 29th, which was awesome. I thought there was a 140 cars or something that year. Mm -hmm. uh, two years ago, we had, we struggled, had some tie rod issues. Yeah. And then uh, this year we finished 20th. So yeah, yeah, we're getting better, getting better. I think uh, I need some more support from Cowie. Mm -hmm. We need to get the team on board and kind of make this thing a little bit more real than it is. Yeah. And uh, you know, try to compete for the, for the win. Yeah. Well, that's good. I got my wheels are turning. I'm ready. Still having uh -huh. fun. I mean, you're obviously having fun. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't do it if I wasn't having fun. The prep and stuff was really hard. Mm -hmm. We spent a lot of days here at the shop working, but at the at the end of the day, when I finished and did well, it was rewarding, you know. Because oh, I mean, I, I did the mechanics on the car. Did you race the car that was sitting here in the shop on jack stands for like four months? Yeah, we had the car. The was carrot. that scary? Yeah, that was, was it. It, that, it was sitting that, right here. That piece of disassembly. Was it like, ah, oh, dude, where does that bolt go? Well, here's the hard part. When you take it apart, I took it apart so far that I wasn't sure I was going to get it back together. <laughs> yeah. But in about two and a half days, we got it back together. Finally, when we started doing it, uh, and we did a couple of days of testing, everything was solid, and, and the car finished strong. So, I mean, look, 
it's, it's like when you work on anything that you haven't worked on before, you're kind of like, oh man, you don't trust yourself. Mm-hmm. But when you start doing it and then you get through it, you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of where I was at. I mean, I grew up in a shop. My dad was a mechanic by trade. That's, I spent time in the shop. I'm confident in my abilities, but I hadn't had a car that far, a, a yeah. UTV that far apart and then put it back together. So same as everything, you know, like now I feel like I can conquer all of it. So. Yeah. You know, when I was younger, uh, racing three wheelers, I had a Kawasaki Takati 250. <coughs> it came with, <coughs> came with a black frame, and the factory team had blue frames, right? And my, you you my, wanted to strip it? My dad owned a body and fender shop, so he could paint it, right? So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna take it apart. And I got a Polaroid camera and took pictures of everything I was unsure about before I took it apart. I had like nuts and bolts and wire harnesses in one paper bag with a Polaroid staple to it, just so I could remember how to put it back together. Smart, that's really smart. But, uh, Luckily, we had another KRX sitting side by side. So <laughs> putting it back together, we could go refer to that and back and forth, and so we had a reference point. Yeah, cool. Okay, we're gonna jump into our next segment, the one that I'm most excited about. <clears throat> so now we're in the Bell Helmets back in the day segment, okay? So Bell Helmets was established in 1954 and is the maker of the Moto 10 spherical helmet the most technologically advanced off-road helmet around. It's the choice of professionals like Eli Tomac, Cooper Webb, Dylan Frandis, the Pro Circuit, Monster Energy Kawasaki team, and of course, Jeremy McGrath. Learn more at bellhelmets.com. So uh, you've been in Bells your whole career. I mean, even as an amateur, you bought Bells, right? Mm-hmm, yep. Um, Moto3 all the way to now. The Moto3, yeah. With the the yeah. slits like that, right? Yep. The right when I started getting into riding, when I was about ten, there was a there was what was it called a Moto Four, with the metal screen in the front and it had yeah. the rubber plugs. Yeah, the rubber plugs for the yeah. sides. Yeah. So, but when I was little, I had a. I mean, I think I probably had I had a Moto Three for sure, but I've always worn bells. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose to wear bells back in the day? Out of curiosity. <clears throat> it was really not. Uh, me per se, it was my dad. dad yeah. My dad was like, "Look, Bell's established big Did brand." Did he subscribe to that? If you have a ten dollar head, buy a ten dollar helmet. Yeah, my you? dad was all about that. Like, Bell's a reputable brand; they make good helmets. If uh-huh. you're going to be doing this stuff, we're uh, we're going to wear a good helmet. Okay, so it wasn't because like Bob Hanna wore one and he thought he was sick. No, I mean, as, if you know, you know the story about my my dad. And when I was I was born in San Fran. When I was a little, little kid, we used to go to like Hollister Ranch and, and my dad would ride a little bit on the weekends. My mom even rode too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think he knew like who Bob Hanna was or I'm sure he knew who Roger DeCoster was maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at, at that time, it really wasn't about that. I mean, when we moved down from San Fran down here to Menifee in 75, uh, that's really, I was little. I was like five. So we're going to, we were, I was riding BMX at the time. Mm-hmm. Never really. Did you wear a bell helmet on your BMX bike? You didn't wear a helmet back then, did you? <laughs> when you raced? Oh, no, when I raced. Uh, when you raced BMX back then, there was a super light helmet that would never pass any moto <laughs> um, specs, standards. Yeah. It was called Echo. Okay, yeah. And so I used, we used to wear Echo, which um, I think the very first BMX helmet I ever had as a little kid mm-hmm. when I raced uh, Hemet BMX the very first time was a Simpson. Okay. But then when I was when I started riding motocross like around here locally, always Bell. Mm-hmm. That's when I had the Moto Three and then the Moto Four, and then it was just always Bell. Yeah. Okay. So back in the day, I 
what I was thinking is like, I'll just pick a subject that I think of you, you know, during your career and everything. Um, is it strange now to look at KTM as the powerhouse it was back then when you signed with KTM? And what led you to that decision? Was it because there's no other options? Was it promises? I mean, I always had options, yeah. right? But if hey, you know, if you know me, if you know me and you know me personally, you know that I don't like to follow the trend of what anyone else does. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, you know, that was a, that was certainly true in my moto career. Uh, when I signed with KTM, I was really, it wasn't about KTM. It was, I was, I was really disappointed that Yamaha didn't, because I was getting to the end of my career and I thought, wow, I'm just going to be a Yamaha guy. Finish it out there. Finish it out, be the ambassador and, you know, be what some of these other guys, Brock Glover and mm -hmm. Bob Hanna and, uh, you know, uh, Mike Bell. Yeah. I mean, be what some of these other Yamaha guys were in the past. And I, and I had done, well, riding for Yamaha, you had done a lot of those um, signings where they had all their Bell champions or yeah, their yeah. Yamaha yeah, champions. Yeah. And uh, I was like, man, this is just going to be so cool, you know. And then, then the year I didn't, I got second in the championship. It was like, yeah. I think McCarty was like, yeah, we've decided to like cut your salary in half, mm -hmm. and we're going to make Villeman the number one rider. And I was like, oh, really? Like three titles that I just got you, and I finished second, and now someone else is going to. I'm like, mm, you're not cutting my salary in half. Yeah. So. And I didn't have a great year, so, you know, but I, I didn't think it was fair, so I was, I was insulted by that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and look, the end of a career never goes the way you want it to, yeah. right? I mean, and so that was one part of it. That was one part of the equation. And look, I, everyone at Yamaha is great. Keith and I got along fine. Bob Starr is a personal friend of mine, a great guy. Mm -hmm. um, Griffiths was there. I mean, there was a, Butler was, there's a lot of guys, you know, Bob Oliver, John R. Like, there's a lot of guys. I had a lot of friends there. I mean, I was there for four or five, four years, four or five years, and uh, we had a great rapport. So it's disappointing that it ended like that, but the ending is in moto is never how you want it to be, mm -hmm. you know, unless you just completely stop. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to do. So um, as an athlete, you're always trying to prove yourself like, okay, he said I can't, well, I'm going to show you I can, mm -hmm. like Eli Tomac's doing right now, you know. Uh, so the KTM thing was about, I think KTM jumped the gun and they wanted to get in a little earlier than they were ready for also. Yeah. Right. So they had a 252 stroke. It had no link on it mm -hmm. that, you know, like the, the engine was even kind of a little bit weird because of the way the reeds were and stuff like that. So, um, and you know, back then GP MX GP success mm -hmm. was a lot different than American motocross or supercross success. Yes. And they were having success over there. Uh, Langston was riding for them, and some of the stuff they were get, the 125 Supercross team here was going okay. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, 125 class is a lot different. Yeah. So when I signed with them, yeah, a lot less power, lighter bike, you can manhandle mm -hmm. the thing a little bit. And uh, so when I signed with KTM, it was more like okay, but it was under the condition that they were making a new Supercross bike, mm -hmm. and uh, I had already struggled, you know. I, I guess maybe that was after I signed, but anyway, uh, you did in, some in Europe I crashed, 
I, Kyle Lewis took me out in the air, like I slammed, got a concussion, dislocated my hip at the track, supercross track, KTM mm -hmm. track. Um, so things were happening and it was, you know, I had crashed more in that six months than I had crashed my whole career. Yeah. <clears throat> so it couldn't possibly be me. Yes, I was a little bit later in my career, but I was still riding really good. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was under the idea that I was gonna get a new Supercross bike. And about a couple months into the deal, they're like, ah, we're just not gonna be doing that. And mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of when I was like, well, World Supercross was happening. Remember we did some World Supercross yeah. at that time? Yeah. In Holland and all this other stuff. And, and the bike was shit at the time. It was, it really was, it was terrible. Dude, was that? It was, was okay the, in hard pack. Cause you could get away with some stuff. If, yeah. You know. But what was shit about? Was it the, was it the frame flex or one, no linkage? No yeah. link for one. It was the shock with the brain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a WP shock that really at that point, WP never was in Supercross, right? So they didn't yeah. really know. Uh, any kind of case or up short, come up short, it would just buck you <laughs> really hard. So was it, was it any good in the whoops? Cause like, uh, that's kind of what I always heard is like no. that suspension system worked in the whoops. Maybe it's good when it was good, but the minute it started doing anything like that, it would just want to pitch you. Yeah. So it sucked that it didn't work out because they were so cool and it's a cool company. And, mm -hmm. and so back to your question, did I ever suspect that KTM would be a powerhouse in the sport? <clears throat> Not in American motocross, I didn't. And I don't think any of us could have, mm -hmm. could have kind of pictured that happening. Well, uh, what they did after that, and I think maybe, you know, maybe I had some responsible responsibility for them getting motivated to do it right. Cause the situation went so bad. Yeah. Right. And it was a few years, a few short years later, but they were much more prepared. Yeah. Uh, and they, they went all in. Right. So, and then it was pretty impressive what they did and they, they pretty much been a powerhouse in the sport since, well, I don't even know what year that was when they like 11 years now. Yeah. 11, 11, yeah. 11 years. years. So. So 2009, maybe? Yeah, when, when Dungey signed with them, were you kind of like, hmm? No, no, I wasn't because at that time I was like, you know what, they're, they're ready to do it now. And they, they were committed finish. to it and they built all new bikes and they, they, they built like special bikes and they homologated them and they did all this stuff that basically Dungey was riding a works bike. Yeah. Right, so that was a lot different than my bike. My bike was a production bike that really was not worthy of riding on the Supercross track. And so, uh, you know, look, it was strange, but I've had the opportunity to be first at a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it hasn't worked out. I mean, you can, I've been first at a, a bit. I was first in the video games. Well, the second guy always gets paid. Yeah. I was first on the KTM. It didn't work out. The second guy did really well. Yeah. You know, like there's situations that, uh, you know, you have to sort of pioneer. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of a pioneer on a lot of that stuff because it was just the right, the timing of it. And I'm just fortunate that a lot of other stuff worked out great. Yeah. Right. But I had to go through some trials and tribulations also. So that's, that's pretty much the story. And, uh, you know, look, I don't, I don't hold any, you know, no ill will, Ill will for K KTM. I mean, what they've done is impressive. Yeah. Really cool. And, uh, they make great stuff, you know, it's like to do what they've done is, would it, you would have never imagined that. So kudos to them, but it's just, I think it was a little early. And I can say this, the same exact thing happened to Suzuki. When I went to Suzuki from Honda, they weren't ready for me. Mm -hmm. Their bike was not ready. 
And so they were not listening to their writers at the time. Mel Harris, I love him. Mm -hmm. Awesome dude, gave me a huge opportunity and fixed a lot of problems that I was having at the time by creating that opportunity for me. But again, like when I got there and, and I was allowed to do what I wanted, we made the bike a lot better. Mm -hmm. And the other riders were pissed because I was getting to do what I wanted with the bike. But again, Suzuki, Suzuki wasn't committed to making their bike better until I got there. And that's a little bit late, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. But again, I think it opened their eyes just like it opened KTM's eyes and like, okay, well, we need to get our shit together or we're gonna sit here in the back yeah. for a long time. So, you know, at the end of the day, they could have gave up. They didn't, Yeah. they went and won, so it was cool. People still say KTM stands for killed the Mac. <laughs> <laughs> I never even heard that one. Really? No, I never oh, heard yeah, that one. Yeah, I've heard it quite a few times. Yeah, kill the Mac, that's right. funny. Our next segment, we're gonna take a uh, question from a fan. So the uh, fan interaction segment is brought to us by Maxxis Tires. You know that Maxxis delivers the best tires for your bike and motorcycle, but did you know Maxxis also offers high quality tires for your car, light truck, trailer, ATV, and more? Maxxis lets you hook up and get the whole shop. Just ask Jeremy McGrath. Visit Maxxis.com for more. Is that true? Let you hook up? You've seen me start. You know the answer to that. <laughs> so, dude, there's a new tire coming, right? There we're, is. We're doing, uh, yeah, we're it, doing some tire testing. IH, intermediate uh, hard. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I love the ST. Yeah. For sure. ST is amazing. Yeah. It's still funny to me. You know, people come up and like, oh, I know you you getting paid by Maxis, but is it really well, good? Are those tires any good? And I'm like, listen, I don't I don't want to relate with companies don't that don't make good products. Yeah. I don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And so for me, Maxis, like the, all the testing and development we did. De development we did with those tires and the IH coming now is like, mm -hmm. I mean, I still have to sell people on it. Like I wouldn't be hanging with Maxis if it wasn't stuff that worked. Yeah. I don't have to do that. Yeah. So yeah, it's fun. Absolutely. Dude, I, I think the ST is my favorite road tire. It's unbelievable. It's good. Unbelievable. Okay. So, uh, I put it out on my Instagram this morning, like, Hey, me and MC are working on something. Got it. Got it. Got a question, and uh, so Maxis will send the author of the question that we choose a set of motocross tires or a set of mountain bike tires. I think car tires is a little bit expensive to ship and the shipping, and, yeah, and shipping alone. Investment. But uh, yeah. anyway, so I chose a question from a guy named Todd Krieg five thirty one, and uh, he says, Jeremy, what is your favorite memorable race that you did not win? Hmm. Well, you think I remember something pretty easily, but because, you know, I was lucky enough, I always say this, I was lucky enough to win a lot of races, right? Yeah. But you always remember the ones you didn't win. Yeah. Because those were the ones that are like a thorn in your side. And you're like, oh man, how did I not win that race? Uh, yeah, I think, did, did he say what was my favorite race your I didn't win? Favorite memorable race. That's like an oxymoron, isn't yeah, it? Right, right, like, yeah, right. You hate races you don't win. Yeah, I don't like races that I didn't win. However, uh, Steel City in 96 when Emig beat me in the second moto and we went in that moto tied mm -hmm. on points was like, I mean, the bad part was I didn't even get second. I think I got fourth. Mm -hmm. He rode the moto of his life, won the championship, which was awesome. Uh, that was the year that I hurt my foot and then yeah. I DNF'd at Washougal and 
kind of we all know the story behind that, but uh, yeah, to lose the title like in the last moto, and just from my own stupidity, really, because of Millville, I tried yeah. to jump something I yeah. shouldn't have tried to jump, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't think that it was a favorite race of mine. It was one that I remember, Stand like, getting yeah. beat and handily getting beat. Uh, Jeff rode amazing that, that final moto. That was, that was a good moto for him. But, you know, the, the week before, I went 1-1 at Binghamton, and I was still hurt, and I was like, how, how did I do that? I don't even know how that happened. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to think what motos there might be or what, what events. You know, it kind of pops in my head, and you very well, very may well have won this, but uh, there was a mud supercross, and it was so muddy and sloppy that you started goon riding. Dallas. Did you win that race? No, I got second. Yeah, but you were goon riding. I was goon riding. <laughs> But it was an awesome event, though, because if you've ever, we have mud in Cali, but we really don't have that much mud, right? Yeah. So it hardly rains. But that year in Dallas, we were at the Texas Stadium, and it has a hole in the roof, and it was clay, and it poured, like, it rained so much, and I actually had fun, and, and being from California, you don't ride mud so much, so it was a little, but it was so slippery, and, and it was almost funny. Mm -hmm. Doug Henry ended up winning. But I got second, yeah. and uh, we were still jumping the triples, and we had like the bail where you, you put the, the number on the top of your helmet so you could see. Uh, that was that was a pretty fun race. I don't I don't you know I don't I don't really remember like ones that I liked where I got second or I got beat really I just I just don't. You know what's funny about that is like you're goon riding in a race. And Green riding now is so prominent, you know, Ronnie Mack and everything. But I remember the first time I saw green riding was in the Terra Firma video with Ian Lammy. Ian Lammy, yeah. I mean, I was just like, what are they doing? <laughs> like, it was so funny. Yeah. I think I wore out my tape rewinding it, watching it over and over again. You know, it's funny that that made the video because we were jacking around doing that. And we, it wasn't like, um, hey, we set out to make the video with that. Yeah. Um, you know, Scrap from Fox was shooting those videos back in the day. And, uh, I mean, we rode at Castillo Ranch for those two, three weeks, and it was all preseason stuff, and we, we rode a lot of laps, so we were just bored and messing around. And so, yeah, that, that was pretty hilarious. The goon riding thing was pretty funny, though. Classic. All right. Well, hey, uh, with that, we're going to wrap up this uh, inaugural debut episode of the King and I podcast. Um, again, it's been awesome knowing you for, like, 30 years now. I know, right? Um, Go way uh, back. We're, we're old. <laughs> I'm older than you. Uh, yeah, barely. Thanks for everyone for, li uh, for listening. Thanks to Monster Energy for uh, bringing us the show. And thanks for uh, uh, listening and tuning in. And see you next time. Yeah, see you next time.